Uh, our next speaker is a one of my one of my very best friends. He's from here in Massachusetts, uh, USA, like myself, and someone who uh, just really has a gift. I think uh, both prophetically and in teaching, uh, saw it as someone who really loves the Word of God. He really loves the Scripture, and I think. Um, loves the Holy Spirit as well. And God's just really given him some great insights into the word. Uh, he's especially passionate about uh, the Lord's return and the Song of Songs. I think that's fair to say. Those are two topics that he's pretty passionate about. And I wouldn't be surprised if we hear from one of those places uh, tonight. Saad and I also, we co-lead prayer on Global Family 24-7 Prayer. And we do a, an hour that's focused on meditating on the book of revelation and so that's something fun that we get to do every week um together and, and we really enjoy so saw over to you great thank you yeah it, it is the last year and a half has been a real treat on wednesdays so i agree with that tonight uh, usually at 10 days i've been sharing if i'm asked to share i've been sharing on on the bridal revelation and jonathan's right tonight i'd like to share a bit on the second coming the return of the lord and um, just a quick disclaimer, um, anything that I'm sharing, I am not diminishing um, our desire or the needed desire for the activity of the Holy Spirit outside of that time period. Um, I just kind of want to level set that because that's sometimes um, um, I've experienced in looking for clarity in some of these subjects. Sometimes it's an either or thing. There's this reality in people's hearts that there's there may not be significant buildup to when all of these dramatic events that are prophesied in our scripture about the Lord's return. And um, I think when it said in, in the book of John that greater things are going to be done than, than he did when he was on earth, and just observing the way that the Lord moves throughout all of history, he loves to give sneak peeks. He loves to put a down payment on something that'll be more full later on. And so I just really wanted to say, um, because uh, initially I'm going to be um, addressing and I'm going to be putting forth, I'm going to frame it like this. I want to put forth a little theory um, about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, in my heart, it's more than a theory, but I realize that we're coming from diverse backgrounds. So I'll, I'll present it as, a, as, as, as something to be considered um, by you guys tonight and moving forward. And, um, and I'd like to, and this is also, <laughs> this is how much I need the Lord's help day to day. Here we are in 10 days Pentecost. And, uh, you know, I was praying, I was asking the Lord, like, you know, Lord, um, what, 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 what would you like me to share on? And, you know, I've been really distracted. There's a, some stuff going on and just in day-to-day -day life, that's just required a lot of attention. And so he, he gave me a, I had a dream last night and I, I presume I was discussing it with an angel or something, but we were talking about Isaiah too. And I woke up and I'm like, okay, I, I, I hear you. It's Isaiah two in my mind is synonymous as you'll see with um, this prophesied great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I'm like, okay. And, and so, you know, I went ahead and I put some thoughts down on, on paper. So, you know, I, I'm not just ranting like I'm prone to. 
And uh, it took me a good hour or two to, to, to connect the fact that it's 10 days Pentecost and the Lord said, Hey, why don't you talk on the outpouring of the Holy spirit that, you know, that connection, I needed help making that connection that it might be a little timely to what we're doing here. So that shows you how, how much I need to rely on the Lord for just really simple stuff. I, I do remember how to tie my shoes day to day, but you know, beyond that, I need a lot of help. <laughs> so um, I'll start, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to share this little document and um, hopefully I'll get through it in about 30 minutes. Maybe we can do some, if there's any questions, do something like that. That'd be fun. I affectionately, because, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the the prophesied outpouring of the spirit and use it as an example, really, of um, of a principle that I see at work and, and one that not just I see at work, but that I feel is very, very important, you know, to us as individuals and just to the the, the church universal, um, especially right now. Um, but I, you know, I titled it The Return of Jesus, Understanding the Context of Our Great Promises. And I'd like to just level set before we get into some specifics. You know, a curious thing has happened. And I've become um, increasingly aware and, and, you know, it's increasingly aware and it, it's something that over, over years, it's just like, it's one of those perceptions and convictions. It's just not going away. It's just getting more acute and more distinct and more, more prevalent in my heart. But, you know, it strikes me and, you know, before I make this first introductory statement, it's pretty well established regardless of you know, what, what stream of Christianity you're in, that the prophetic scriptures on the first coming of Messiah, you know, it's about like a one to three ratio. There's about three times as many about the second coming events and the messianic kingdom, you know, things, things of, of that nature um, versus his first coming. I, I think even like a one to three ratio seems light. I think there's less first coming than that, but, you know, I, I haven't mapped that out. But just for the sake of of stating it, there's way less scripture about the first coming of Messiah, and there's way more about what we would call his second coming. And yet the clarity that's on on the first coming scriptures, I'd I'd say, is is pretty profound. I mean, it is really clearly dealt with. um, There's solid hermeneutics. There's tons of teaching throughout the the body of Christ universal. and yet this thing that is that is expressed and in the scripture far more um, in volume. And also when you look at how the scriptures are presented, they're presented in, in a less ambiguous way sometimes, meaning when we see that the Lord's coming to correct evil and he's going to take, you know, this world and remake it into a righteous place. That's a pretty easy theme to catch that he's going to judge evil and he's coming to establish righteousness and glory. He's coming to fulfill his promises. You look at his first coming prophetic um, scriptures and a lot of them are tucked in there. They're in kind of a a mysterious placed in a mysterious way. It's I can see why the, the Jews of Jesus time, why they would have missed it. You know, there's an opportunity to miss that. Whereas obviously even the teachers at that time, the, the, the prophesied coming of the victorious king was something that was very, it was very clear in their hearts. They were anticipating something big, something powerful, something dramatic, something that would alter 
um, the course of, of the order of the of this world in an incredible way. And, you know, and the majority of, of the Jews, when Jesus came, you know, missed his coming, as John says, he came to his own and his own received him not. And so a curious thing has happened. We look at the return of, of Messiah, and it's one of the most prominent subjects in the Bible. But in these times, it's been packaged for believers with this. It's kind of like someone took a big stamp on it and said, you can't understand this. You know, or you can maybe you can understand very little about this. Or, you know, maybe you could say there, there's a, just a little bit of clarity, but, you know, most people won't, won't really have a deep, clear understanding. And somehow the, the vast majority of teachers and, and leaders seem to be content at best to just kind of leave that label attached uh, to this subject. And then some even go so far as to like justify or even applaud that conclusion. You know, I've, I've heard messages by teachers and preachers that, that are, are rejoicing in the fact, essentially, when you hear their message, that, that you can't understand this subject. And to me, you know, as time has gone by, as years have unfolded, I just looked at that and said, you know, the investment that the Lord took, that Holy Spirit took to put these scriptures in the Bible, for the outcome of that, would would be especially in the context of the new covenant the outcome of that um prioritization that emphasis from the holy spirit would be that we can't have deep and clear understanding that is just a collision of realities that is such an inconsistent reality let me uh, give for those who believe in speaking of tongues you know let me just use this as just one counterpoint one emphasis you know, there's whole streams in the body of Christ who have made um, the practice of praying and, and speaking in tongues a central part of the Christian experience. And we look at the number of scriptures that talk about that, and you've got, you know, maybe three explicit versions in the, in the New Testament, and you've got a couple of enigmatic references, you know, one in Isaiah, you know, a couple here and there. And yet the, the clarity and the the commitment to this revelation, which I fully support, by the way, but the commitment to something that has been witnessed to only a handful of times um, is astounding when you look at the great volume of hundreds of passages on this subject that provides a depth of, of, of content and clarity that eclipses an issue like that by so far and yet somehow we've been content to leave it in this enigmatic bucket. Well, I'm, I'm here saying like, look, whether, whether we know it or not, we have been swept into this broader historical work of the Holy Spirit to restore truth and understanding about the word of God. And it seems, you know, it seems like as far as universal effort of the Holy Spirit, it seems like it really significantly began at the Reformation. And has been going on and tracking for the last, you know, whatever it is, four or five hundred years. Well, there's this is one of those significant pieces, and you know, Hebrews calls it part of the elementary teachings of Messiah or of the Christ. And it's one of those pieces that must be the experience, it must experience a restoration, a widespread restoration, not just a restoration here and there, 
but a widespread restoration as part of the prelude for, you know, what you could say, a global expression of maturity in the body of Christ. And I would encourage you to read Hebrews 5 through the beginning of Hebrews 6 um, to just kind of level set and see that. And, you know, in that passage, these elementary teachings of Messiah are required as a foundation. And then uh, the author of Hebrews says, you know, we should lay this foundation. This foundation should be established for all with clarity and certainty. And when that foundation is in, is in place, then we will proceed into maturity if God allows it. And so we see that there, there's these pieces of this foundational understanding of Messiah that have been the, you know, the Holy Spirit has been orchestrating, especially since the Reformation. And we find ourselves caught up into that, the prayer movement, um, the restoration of prophetic ministry, signs and wonders, um, you know, the, the surge of, of worship, the surge of intimacy with God, all of these pieces being restored back in, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, um, the replacement of replacement theology with understanding, you know, God's true purpose for Israel. All of these pieces that are coming and being restored back into the body of Christ. And here is, here is this one, and the question here with the return of Jesus with the end times, who wins if believers are left in confusion or lacking a deep appreciation for a subject that is so majestic and so widespread in the scripture, and one, get this, that the Lord has actually called his day. There is there there's a, a whole host of events that are contained in something that that the Lord actually said, this is my day, you know, or the book of Revelation, how it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which his father, which God gave to him so that he could share it with us in the churches. And so I think it's pretty clear where the origin of the author of confusion, we all know who that is. Was it possible that the, uh, the fingerprints on this subject are bearing a resemblance to that author of confusion, that author of, of keeping things um, um, shrouded in mystery, keeping things obscured, keeping things from, because here's what happens when clarity, when clarity, like the Psalm says, in your light, we see light and continue in your loving kindness to us, O Yahweh. When we have clarity about the scripture, what happens is our heart, like it says in another place in Psalm 119, the entry of your word brings light and understanding even to the simple or enlarge my heart so I can run the course of, of your commandments. So we see when this, when clarity on a God-breathed subject in the scripture comes, the heart of a believer opens up. The mind, the mind becomes subject to light and the heart expands and has room for Christ to come and occupy a place that he has already purchased to have um, authority and residential dominion over through his cross. And so who wins if believers are left in confusion or left in obscurity? And here's the key. In a subject that is so prevalent in the scripture, well, we know who wins. It's the author of confusion. It's, it's Satan. It's the one who is trying to keep the plans of God from manifesting in the earth. His one goal is to keep the kingdom of God from coming on earth as it is in heaven. That is his primary goal. That drives him to persecute the Jews. 
that's driven him to try to extinguish the Jewish race. It drives him to persecute Christians. It drives, it drives him to, to try to oppress and continually suppress uh, the glory of God and the life of believers, all these things. And so what I'm here presenting is saying, hey, a, a specific and clear, expansive understanding about the passages that reveal the coming of Jesus is paramount to this work that the Holy Spirit is doing, this work of restoration. And so just a quick couple verses here in Daniel 11.33 says, And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Now, this was true in the time leading up to the first coming. How much more true would it be, you know, the context of Daniel 11.33, you know, during the Mac, just before the Maccabean revolt, all those things, if you know the history. How much more true would it be about the coming of Messiah to, to take over possession of the kingdoms of this world? And to, 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 to release the fullness of dominion on the earth. How much more is it important for those, for there to be people of understanding who can instruct the many, bring many into that instruction? And then here, you know, you can obviously look up Jeremiah 3 for a little context. Um, in verse 15, it says, And I will give you shepherds according to my, my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it, again, it points you in verse 17. And at that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of Yahweh, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of Yahweh, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. So we see, you know, if you look at this in context, just a narrow context here, the understanding that these shepherds will feed to the people has everything to do with the coming of the Messiah back to Jerusalem to rule and reign on earth. It's not just, it's not just um, abstract or more general um, revelation and knowledge. It is specifically about the coming of Messiah to supersede the old covenant, uh, transcend and supersede the law of Moses, and to bring in the order of Melchizedek, to bring in the glory, the promises of the glory given to the forefathers, to bring those in and to bring them into the earth and manifest it. So that's my kind of level set. And what I'd like to do is run through a few passages about this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And propose to you that it belongs to the end time day of the Lord. That when we see the, the scripture prophesy about it, it belongs in a place in the plan of God, in a time. And that time and that place should frame how we pursue this outpouring of the Spirit, how we prepare for it. Um, what Because the context of when the Spirit is poured out gives us there's information about the, the geopolitical environment in the world. There's, there's information about the, the stress and the pressures that will be upon believers. There's information about the stress and pressures on the world. There's in, information about the glories that will come. So um, it's almost like you don't need to read this passage, but I will. And I'll read it with uh, the statement that here Joel is, is emphasizing the manifestation upon believers. You know, he's declaring that universal prophetic anointing with signs and wonders. And he's also, uh, he's also describing um, the manifestation or effect 
on those who become believers in that time. You know, so here we see in Joel 2.28, it shall come to pass afterward, or when it's quoted in Acts, it does say last days, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then it shifts. So it's a universal. It's happening to all human beings at that time. And then specifically here, it says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my, my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour, it on my, pour out my spirit on those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. And here's obviously where it gets a, a little different. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. You know, pictures of judgment. Pictures of dramatic judgment, pictures of, you know, earth shaking, earth changing judgment, judgment that that disturbs world order. And then cosmic order, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So just for the sake here, we see Joel is emphasizing the manifestation on believers and those who call on the name of the Lord so they can be saved. If you look at the broader context, he's also speaking about the condition of Israel when it happens, general Israel. And he's saying that he's declaring this among a remnant. And then we see this imagery, this imagery of that they never saw in Acts. <laughs> they didn't see. They saw the little tongues of fire, but they didn't see the, the, the dramatic judgment type, epic judgment type manifestations of blood, fire, pillars of smoke, sun turning you know, into darkness, moon into blood. And I, I don't think they would have called that the terrible or the terrifying day of the Lord. So we have this future expectation, and the thing that I'm trying to say is, and there's a context placed in this passage, okay? And so now, I'd like us, I'd like to propose to you Isaiah 2. Isaiah 2 gives us a view of the other side of that coin. Um, it shows us the condition of Israel and nations in context to something. It also shows us the response of those who re resist Yahweh, who resist the Lord. And so here, right here in verses 2 to 4, it opens like it does so often. It opens with giving us a picture of what God's end result intention is. So here in verses 2 through 4, which is later quoted in Micah, it says, Now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains, will be raised above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, hallelujah. And he, the Messiah, he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will eliminate warfare from, their, from, from the existence of the earth. They will eliminate. They won't even learn it or teach it. So we all, I'm sure we're all familiar with that passage and that reality. Now in verses 5 through 10, and the later verses below it, we see what's standing between us now and between that reality. 
Here in verses 5 through 10, we're shown a condition of unrepentant Israel that the Lord must correct through his end-time judgments. And so he says, come, house of Jacob. It's like, remember, let us walk in the light of the Lord. For you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, because they're filled with the influences from the east. And here's what I'm saying. We could go through and, and look at this description here and look at natural Israel right now and go, yes, 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 yes. We could go down this checklist and, and we look at, at, we look at the, let's just pull a couple, um, false spiritual practices, the, the, the prevalence of, of abortion that goes on in the land of Israel right now. Um, the, the, the support for the support for, um, the homosexual and, and, and gay agendas that, it, that, it, that are present there. And then perhaps like even, even grander, um, the agnostic appreciation of the blessing of intelligence and, um, and, and influence that has been afforded to the Jewish people. Um, them trusting and worshiping the work of their own hands, as we see here. So I'm just saying that, you know, these realities that we're seeing right now in natural Israel, they're all being described here by Isaiah as well. He says, you're filled with the influences from the East. They're soothsayers like the Philistines. They strike bargains with the children of foreigners. Their land has also been filled with silver and gold, and there's no end to their treasures. Their land has also been filled with horses. Their military is, is established and virile and strong. Their land has also been filled with idols. They worship the very work of their hands, that which their fingers have made. So the common man has been humbled, and the man of importance has been abased. But do not forgive them. And here it is in verse 10. Enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the glory of his majesty. So we see here that there's a coming revelation of Yahweh. There's a, a, a shining of his glory and his majesty that will strike terror in the heart of those who harden their hearts in the house of Jacob. And their command is go ahead, enter and hide from, from Yahweh, from your creator. Hide from his glory when he manifests the glory of his majesty. And, uh, you know, in Isaiah's fashion, he's, he, he's got plenty of it to give around. <laughs> So here in verses 11 through 19, we're shown the condition of the Psalm 2 type nations who've scoffed at the Lord and at his anointed. So in verse 11, we'll see a, a similar theme. The proud look of man will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty and against everyone who is lifted up. That, he, that they may be abased, they may be brought low, and it will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the hills that are lifted up, against every high tower, every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, against all the beautiful craft. And here's the key, the pride of man will be humbled and the loftiness of men will be abased. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, but the idols will completely vanish. Men will go into the caves of the rocks and into the holes of the ground before the terror of Yahweh and the glory of his majesty, 
when he arises to make the earth tremble. Okay. And here, just wrapping up this chapter in verses 20 through 22, it emphasizes that the pouring out of the spirit on all flesh, and I will, I'm going to connect Joel 2 with Isaiah 2 uh, very concretely coming next. And I'm just emphasizing this language uh, about entering into the caves, entering into the rocks and hiding in the holes before the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. I'm emphasizing that language because that's what makes the connection um, here in the book of Revelation, as we'll see, with the prophecy of Joel and the great pouring out of the spirit that's been prophesied as well. So uh, just wrapping up here in verses 20 through 22, in that day, what day? The day when the Lord arises to make the earth tremble. In that day, men will cast away the moles and the bats, their idols of silver, their idols of gold, which they have made for themselves to worship, in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs before the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. Stop regarding man whose breath of life is in his nostrils, for why should he be esteemed? And so here we're seeing a response um, and an emphasis about this outpouring of the spirit on all flesh. We're seeing that it produces a revelation of the great power and glory of Yahweh in people who are opposed to him. And even though many will still harden their hearts in the mystery of lawlessness, we're seeing them have an open revelation of the great power and the great glory, um, universal power and glory, omnipotent power and glory, the beginning of the visibility of his dominion being shown to all the earth openly. They're seeing that and their response is, is to go into the caverns and hide before the terror of the Lord and before this glory. And so, again, here's the proposition. Well, the convergence of these two passages, I'm going to put forth to you that we see this reality expressed very clearly in the sixth seal of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 6, 12, and so if you're unfamiliar with the first five seals, I'll just go through them really quick. We've got the, uh, the white horse rider with the bow going forth to conquer in the first seal. And then we've got um, um, bloodshed being released in the second seal, you know, so war and conflict. There's pieces taken from the earth and there's great bloodshed. Um, and then we, have, um, then we have a great famine emerge in the third seal. And then in, in the fourth seal, we have death and Hades riding forth. And a quarter of the earth, um, um, you know, being taken, life, them consuming a quarter of the earth through wild beasts and through violence, through war, through, you know, all manner of means, but death just spreading across the earth in such a profound way as the fourth seal. And then we see the fifth seal, um, a, a surge of martyrdom, unprecedented surge of martyrdom taking place. And the Lord saying to, to be at peace and wait, wait until the fullness of his plan is, is taken place. And then here in, in the sixth seal, we see something uh, profound. And I'll, I'll read this passage, and, and I'm looking for you to recognize some of the attributes from both that Joel and that Isaiah 2 passage. So I looked when he broke the sixth seal, 
And behold, there was a great earthquake. Again, remember, when he arises to shake the earth, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became like blood. Remember, that very sign was given in Joel 2, that the sun would be, be darkened and the moon would become blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a mighty wind. The sky receded like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And here it is, the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath, the wrath of the lamb, the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? They, they echo Joel 2 and they echo Malachi 3 saying the day of the Lord coming like a furnace. Who can endure it? Here, here they are, the great and the small inhabitants of the earth who have resisted the Lord, who have resisted Yahweh, even through the beginnings of bloodshed and war and disaster coming upon such a great portion of the earth, a quarter of the earth being given over to the dominion of death and Hades riding across it. They see all of this and their, their great hate and anger and persecution against the saints, against Israel and against the followers of Jesus Christ. And then it culminates with this time where um, if you look here, the prophecy of Joel and Isaiah 2 come together in concert and an open vision, the, the sky and the heavens recede and open up. And, it's, and, and it opens up so that they can see that the source of all of this distress coming upon the earth is coming from the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb of God. They're seeing the Lord and his anointed scoffing and laughing, looking down like Psalm 2, looking down and say, we will hold you in derision. We will vex you in our displeasure. And they, they see it and, and the response of so many to this great, how else can you ascribe a revelation of hardened, unbelieving hearts who have resisted the Lord and his anointed for, for decades and generations to suddenly have a perfect awareness that it's, that it's Yahweh and the Lamb of God bringing about the source of this distress. What else could it be but an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on unbelieving flesh to, do, to, to show them the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty, for them to have an open vision and to go from, from saying we are, we are, we are coming to, to take over the world to, to now we are directly opposed to the Lamb of God. We will cast off his chains and his fetters and throw them far from us. And we will hold ourselves against him specifically and clearly. So here in the midst, uh, it, what, what we saw in Joel, the outpouring upon God's people, we, he, we, we see that. We see the, the context by which this great prophetic anointing, through this in which this great abundance of revelation and prophetic activity takes place, this great um, endorsement of prophetic utterance through signs and wonders, 
And we see that it comes in the context of the rebellious and unbelieving of the earth, having an open understanding and vision that it's Jesus, the Messiah, and his judgments coming to distress their order and to distress the world and disturb the world, shake the world that has rejected him. At long last, the day that the Lord rises to disturb and shake the earth so that his kingdom can come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we see, we see again, they abandon their idols, but so many abandon them not to repentance, but they abandon to seek to be hidden from the glory of Yahweh. And as we, we see in Revelation, they ultimately turn to demonic power as their refuge. Now, we can, what a global and incredible experience and what would lead to this type of revelation, nothing other than the, 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 the outpouring of the very spirit that is given to reveal Jesus Christ to the earth. And it, 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 that power coming and shattering through the blindness of a, of a darkened mind to bring them to, a, as, as, as Joel says, to bring them to a valley of decision, to bring them to the conscious decision of which, which side they will choose. Much like, you know, we can see a, a, smaller, a smaller localized example in Pharaoh, you know, the glory of Yahweh being manifest. And, and coming to Pharaoh, showing him the truth about, about the God of Israel, and Pharaoh subsequently seeing it and hardening his heart, and seeing it and hardening his heart. So that, to quote Paul in, 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 in Romans, so that God intolerating vessels that he created for wrath and other vessels that he created to show his glory and mercy the two dynamics coming together under this great global outpouring of the Holy Spirit to accomplish his plan. See, this is the deal. And uh, <laughs> um, if I can be so bold, it seems as though in our modern times, we have had a very sentimental view of this outpouring of the Spirit. And what I mean by that is... I think uh, in a lot of ways, we, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as being something that will really remove our problems. It will be mass conversion. Um, it will be finally the Lord bringing vindication to his name. Now, now what if uh, upon a closer examination, what if it's a little more complex than that? You know, what if, what if, what if, what if the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is is synonymous with other passages like in Isaiah where it says, gross darkness covers the people, great darkness in the earth. What if it's synonymous like in Revelation um, chapter 14, the great harvest of the earth being reaped and the harvest of the grapes of wrath being reaped at the same time? You know, and so that just leads me into some closing statements, a few implications. Now, like I said, I'm putting this forth, kind of proposing it for your consideration tonight. Now, it exists in my heart a little bit more as a conviction rather than a concept, but I'd like to put it forth that way. And just to leave with, you know, and in doing so, I'm wanting to stimulate people, stimulate us to really consider some of the conclusions we've made in our hearts again. And so just to close with a few implications and just to clarity matters. You know, and here's that scripture from the Psalms. If the Lord does not build the house, the builders build in vain. 
Um, what if we're being called to prepare a framework for what is coming and for the time that is coming? You know, I think we all know that, but large scale projects require specific plans. Um, what if there's a lot more specific information in the plans of God as they're revealed in scripture? You know, what if there's a lot more clarity to be had? You know, if we, if we go out and we go about building a house and we're charged with building up the frame and putting the roof on first, and we're about trying to finish the rooms and buy furniture and, you know, it's, it's out of alignment. Again, if the, if it's not the place where the Lord is saying needs to be built at this time, then it's in vain. So what if clarity on the plans of God have a great impact to us discerning the times and seasons? Um, but what if discerning the times and seasons is much more closely connected to clear and specific understanding of the ways and plans of Yahweh revealed in scripture. Uh, another point to consider, what if our personal and inner devotion is meant to be fueled by this revelation? You know, it is, it is called the revelation of Jesus Christ, the final book of the Bible. Um, it is called the day of Yahweh. You know, Jesus day, his day, the day where he's openly, openly shown to the world. You know, he, he came and showed his disciples the Father in the first coming. Well, this is when the, the Father shows him to the earth openly and fully. You know, what if, what if this subject, what if it's actually the biggest deal in heaven and we're somehow missing part of the message? What if our prioritization of this subject is, is is out of alignment with heaven's weight on it. 